In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A disturbing thing happened to me earlier last week. I was on the way back from somewhere in, in Vienna, not sure where at the moment, but I was coming up 123 uh, past the car dealership over the bridge, and as I came up to International Drive, where 123 opens to five or six lanes, I was ready to just continue straight down the hill past Tyson's to come back here to McLean. I noticed there was no one in the left turn lane towards Tyson's too, and there was uh, a rather decrepit old man begging at that stoplight. And with my collection of $10 McDonald gift cards replenished, I decided to zip over to the left lane and, you know, take a left turn, take the longer way home, and I was able to stop and talk to him briefly and give him um, a $10 gift card. And as soon as, as soon as that happened, I saw a Fairfax County police car pull up um, facing me, but on the proper side of the road, lights flashing, and the police officer exited and was walking towards the uh, beggar. Uh, I didn't even see the police car that, was, that had just pulled up right behind me, lights flashing, and was approaching the back of my vehicle towards, again, the same beggar. And so I told him, uh, looks like you got company. And it was, it, it was a startling scene because this man who was shuffling and, and barely able to walk and barely able to talk and couldn't even read the front of the card that I gave him. I had to read it to him and explain it to him. They were immediately treating him as someone potentially hostile. They weren't yelling at him. But they were telling him to stay exactly where he was. They wanted to know, do you have a knife on you? They asked him that question repeatedly. And then they told him to get down on the ground, get down on his knees, and then to get down, lie down, and they put handcuffs on him. All the while, I'm just, I'm just observing. I'm uh, not really sure what's going on, and it's not pleasant, of course. But at the same time, I have absolutely no idea um, who's in the right. As they're having a conversation, it's clear that the gentleman said, did my wife call me in on you? Or call, yeah, call me, call you, call me in to you, something like that. <laughs> Is my wife to blame? She's over there in that parking lot over there. And so the officers were immediately on the radio to call other officers to go uh, find her, to talk to her, find out what the real story is. And it was clear to me that I can, I can trust them to handle the situation. They don't really need my help. They don't need me to intervene, ask more questions, uh, prove their good faith, prove their... Um, uh, capacity to handle what obviously is an unpleasant situation, but it doesn't mean they're doing anything bad. And that, that comes from someone who's had a friend who was slain by a Fairfax County police officer whose firearm was discharged, at the very least, negligently. So I, it's not as though I have a love affair with the, with the police department. I respect the vast majority of them. And in this particular case, I decided, I think... 
Um, I think I can let them handle this situation. But I, but, but I might have been wrong. I, I, had to, I had to make a prudential judgment based on the facts that I could glean from the information available or from the statements being made and decide what actually, what ought to happen, uh, what are the possible reasonable responses to what's going on. And it seemed reasonable to allow them to proceed. Not only as Christians, but also as Americans, we are hardwired to have sympathy. And that's a good thing. We're hardwired to root against the New England Patriots, right? <laughs> against the Crimson Tide, right? At some point, you'll be hardwired to root against my favorite teams. That's fine. At the same time, we're hardwired for justice. It's the reason why when someone really wicked in your office gets fired, you smile. And then you come to confession and you confess it because you feel guilty for it. There's a degree to which we, we ought not apologize for seeking justice. That's different from gloating. It's different from wishing ill on people and ultimate harm. As Christians in a fallen world, our focus must always be the salvation of souls. And we know that what people do right now in this life directly impacts their salvation. It also impacts other people and might make their salvation more difficult or easier. And so it was a beautiful thing to see on Friday such an enormous crowd for the March for Life and so many parishioners. Parishioners who came on the buses, on their own, by metro, many of us finding each other thanks to a brand new banner that apparently made the TV news that evening. And many others whom we knew were there by virtue of text messages and phone calls. It was a clear example of when never to be apologetic. Ought we ever, apolog ought we ever apologize for demanding that the deliberate killing of innocent life shouldn't enjoy protection of law? No, I, I can't think of a single circumstance. That doesn't mean that everyone who is marching, whether it be 800,000 or 900,000, are in agreement about what happened the next day, what happened yesterday. And so on matters that are clear, whether it be in detail or in principle, as Christians, we need to think like Christians and act like Christians. And there are going to be many times where the application of a clear principle will result in people 
not only doing different things, but even disagreeing with each other, and even disagreeing with each other vehemently. It reminds me of the time when I was in the seminary, my first year, and for an entire year, believe it or not, in the 1990s, when we in that particular seminary attended Mass, we were forbidden from kneeling during the Eucharistic prayer. We were commanded to remain standing. And so some seminarians took it upon themselves to object and to trigger the process by which that whole policy was reevaluated. And over the course of the year, there were three groups of seminarians. There were the seminarians who agreed, of course, we ought to be kneeling for the Eucharistic prayer. If there happens to be the occasional disabled person who can't kneel and they have to sit, um, we don't have to sit in solidarity with them. We can kneel on their behalf. There were those who were in complete disagreement with us and said, no, we ought to stand because standing somehow is the gesture of the resurrection or something else. I didn't mind arguing with them. I didn't mind disagreeing with them. The group that really was disappointing was the third in the middle who just said, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just come to agreement and just have peace? Why are we disagreeing? Well, sometimes disagreeing is the sign that you care. Sometimes arguing is evidence that you love the good. You might be mistaken about it, but you love the good. So as your pastor, I would expect everyone to be in agreement that our protest on Friday is a perfectly just cause. That the Deliberate killing of innocent life should never be sanctioned by law. And not only do I understand, I perfectly expect parishioners to disagree with each other vehemently about who should be permitted to determine who comes across our borders and when and under what circumstances. It can't be a matter of your feelings. Your feelings will only make you afraid when you're in the minority. Now, granted, if you're in a workplace and the vast majority of people there have been scarred by abortion, you're going to be judicious about how you speak of the just cause to protect an innocent life. Not because you're afraid, not because you're being bullied, but because you're wise and you care and you love people. Similarly, if you know people who are in disagreement with you about who can enter our country and who can't, and it personally affects them, You'd probably be wise and choose the right words to articulate what are your principles, not just your feelings. And sometimes you might defer that conversation to a different time and place. Now, as Catholics, we're also hardwired to care about what the church teaches. As Roman Catholics, we're especially attentive to what the Pope says. And so, it's not surprising, I've already had several people ask me, what did the Pope really say about 
what the president did yesterday. Well, that doesn't fit into a tweet. It doesn't even fit into a Facebook message. You need about 13 pages to know. I won't read all of it to you. Because what matters isn't what one pope currently said most recently. It could be that he's articulating the doctrine of the church. It could be that he's just thinking out loud. And so what is the teaching of the church? I'll read to you a little bit of it. More prosperous nations are obliged, to the extent that they are able, to welcome the foreigner in search of the security and the means of livelihood which he cannot find in his country of origin. Public authorities should see to it that the natural right is respected that places a guest under the protection of those who receive him. Political authorities, for the sake of the common good for which they are responsible, may make the exercise of the right to immigrate subject to various juridical conditions, especially with regard to the immigrants' duties toward their country of adoption. Immigrants are obliged to respect with gratitude the material and spiritual heritage of that country that receives them, to obey its laws, and to assist in carrying civic burdens. About the church commenting on this, I'll read another paragraph from the Catechism. It is a part of the church's mission to pass moral judgments, even in matters related to politics, whenever the fundamental rights of man or the salvation of souls requires it. The means, the only means she may use are those which are in accord with the gospel and the welfare of all men, according to the diversity of times and circumstances. It is not the role of the pastors of the church to intervene directly in the political structuring and organization of social life. This task is part of the vocation of the lay faithful, according, acting on their own initiative with their fellow citizens. Social action can assume various concrete forms, should always have the common good in view and be in conformity with the message of the gospel and the teaching of the church. It is the role of the laity to animate temporal realities, with Christian commitment, by which they show that they are witnesses and agents of peace and justice. What is the direct role of pastors that applies in these circumstances? Happens all the time. When does a pastor decide that that person is banned from parish property? I know pastors who have had to do that several times at every parish to which they've been assigned. I've only, I was only at St. Isidore for seven months. I didn't even get a chance to ban anyone from parish property. <laughs> Besides, there's only 400 parishioners. It's very difficult. Sometimes you want to give someone the back pew to let them sleep overnight. But eventually, that not only becomes problematic, but you perpetuate a problem. My brother had to call the police on somebody just last week. The auxiliary bishop of Newark was assaulted at the altar yesterday while he was offering mass. 
which makes me wonder where were the men of the cathedral allowing someone to walk up to into the sanctuary, up the steps, up to the altar, and punch the auxiliary bishop. And so it's difficult, and, and the decision you make sometimes might be, the, might be proper, might be one of the proper options at your disposal, and it might be wrong. What matters in all those circumstances is, do I love that person? Even that person who has ill will for me. And how do I handle them? How do I banish them with goodwill? Sometimes it's hard. And sometimes you won't have goodwill which is why you end up in the confessional. And sometimes you have goodwill, but no one can know it, in which case you just simply suffer. The Old Testament is replete with admonitions to provide for the stranger, to leave crops on the vine for the alien. And the book of Sirach also tells us not to let the stranger into our house, otherwise he will turn it into a wreck. What does it mean? It means there's no simple answer. Love your enemy, love your enemy, love your enemy, and pray for wisdom. And so we ask, breathe in us, O Holy Spirit, that all our thoughts may be holy. Act in us, O Holy Spirit, that all our work too may be holy. Draw our hearts, O Holy Spirit that we love but what is holy. Strengthen us, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard us then, O Holy Spirit, that we always may be holy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.